This week on Slashers, the boys are talking The Fly. Sorry, Danzig, not the one with Vincent Price, rather the one with Jeff Goldblum. Be sure to stay tuned until the end of the episode to listen to a special track by our friends Slugdjig. Day, something very wrong. It's actually one of the taglines for this movie, but the tagline we all know and love be afraid, be very afraid, be listening to Slash's podcast. A podcast about movies and more for those who love horror. My name is Jake, and with me, as always, is my what, what do we call you? Old cummy boy faithful, the other. Remember that time? There's a sputum joke. I, it was I don't very know what you're talking about. I edited these episodes, <laughs> so I know it happened. It was multiple times I've listened to it. Anyway, it's Jim, the Jimothy Jim Churn. Jim, my boy, how are you today? I'm good. Tonight. Why would I say today? Yeah. Nobody nice. can tolerate me during the day. That's why my wife sends me off to work. <laughs> anyway, to his left, my right, Chad, producer, Chad. Why, hello. How's it going, bud? You know, I'm here. You know what really makes me sad? I gotta say. I wish that Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass just had tweaked one of their famous song titles just a little bit because there's no lyrics in it. So the title is kind of anecdotal. But have you ever heard Spanish Flea? If it was a Spanish Fly, I could do it for this episode, but I can't. So it's a waste. (laughs) For those of you who haven't figured it out yet, based on the title of the episode, the tagline of the episode, and my very cryptic reference to a song that's 50 years old, we're doing The Fly from 1986. Jad, you've seen this movie a thousand times. Yes, I love this movie. Jim, have you seen this movie a thousand times? I've seen it once. Twice now. (laughs) Nice. This is the first movie in doing the show where I was actually super excited to watch a movie that I'd already seen. Yes. You know, we've done some where I hadn't seen it before, like Bad Taste or whatever, and it was an exciting event. But this is one where I was like, oh, I'm like giddy because I hadn't seen it in so long and I wanted to think. And it so holds up, man. It is so good. I enjoy it. There's not a lot of fluff in it. It's very like, here are the characters. She's dysfunctional, bad guy. I mean, it's good. It's just like clean. It's a rapid pace, too. I mean, he's already turning into a fly less than an hour into the movie. I know. It's rad, right? Yeah. One quick thing. This kind of has that like ex machina kind of vibe to it. Like I could totally see if they did a remake, Oscar Isaac being Jeff Goldblum. Oh, that'd be oh yeah. So that'd damn be cool. good. This movie, it just it's so timeless that I when I'm watching it now, I'm like, it's not that it would be done differently. It's just that you'd swap them out, you know? Right. With modern technology be a little interesting. Yeah. Not even modern, because you can now make technology look far more advanced, unlike this movie. <laughs> Yeah, I, there's a quaintness to it that I like, yeah. I'll say. But one of the things, if, you know, if they ever tried to remake it, of course, they would have to do you know computer effects and do what they did with the thing, the Mary Elizabeth Winstead one, where they right. have practical effects. and They're like, nah, <laughs> that doesn't hold up. What we need is computer animation that looks outdated in six months time. <laughs> yep. Do me a favor. Watch the end scene of Avengers Endgame. And then go and watch the thing from 2012. <laughs> You'll be like, what the fuck? Did you make this with MS Paint? <laughs> So, do you know whose idea it was to make the tagline of the film, Be Afraid, Be Very Afraid? No. Originally, it's just a line in the movie. Jim, you lit up. Oh, I was reading your notes. Oh, <laughs> son of a bitch. It's Mel Brooks. That's yeah. right. Producer of The Elephant Man, who did nothing else in his career. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I was like, is there another Mel Brooks I don't know? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that's really funny, so if you watch The Fly 2 with Eric Stoltz, his love interest is the princess from Spaceballs, also a Brooks film. So I'm like, huh, 
little nepotism going on there. <laughs> but yeah, his son is also into the horror stuff. His son's the one, Max Brooks, who yes. did... Uh, World Z or World War Z. World War Z, yeah. So, shall I get into some bullshit trivia for this? Yes. All right. The original story was by George Langelan, not to be confused with Langelier who eats time, in the June 1957 edition of Playboy magazine. Hmm. Now, there are some slight differences. It's very, very close to the 1958 version with Vincent Price. It's super similar. They cut out a couple of things which appear to be more in terms of budget. So, for instance, when Andre is trying to change himself back, at one point, it takes the cat that's teleported off into the ether and fuses it with his head. <laughs> and so he's a man-cat fly. Love it. <laughs> give me a give me a fun name for it. If you were gonna if you were gonna name a Pokemon that looked like a man, a cat, and a fly put together, what would you call it? I don't know. They're pretty on the nose with stuff, so it'd be like Macatafly or something. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I, I have no argument there. It's pretty much. And then when it evolves, it's a. I'm pointing at you, Chad. What is it? Super Macatafly. Is that a Digimon, you retard? <laughs> I'm Super Mega. I don't watch that type of anime. Okay, I will say I like the idea of Digimon. But when they evolve and suddenly they're wearing pants and then they're not wearing pants, True. I don't care that they're constructs of a digital world. It's still stupid and I don't like it. The song was kind of catchy. Digimon, digital, digital monsters, monsters yeah. Digimon are the champion. <laughs> Hell yeah. I like that it's like in your face. It's like antagonistic. Like, oh, you, you want to be the very best like nobody ever was? Well, I'm already a fucking champion. So suck my numb nuts. Very true. Wait, <laughs> that's an insult to myself. Unless it was intentionally numb with like a balm, like a tiger balm. On your nuts. From so many explosions. Yeah. Romance explosions. Right. <laughs> which there's a few of in this movie. That yes. scene with the medicine cabinet where he's like, e -e finger. <laughs> so there's one quote that I thought you might be interested in. I have an awful lot of work to do on it, Stu. Do you realize that there are some parts of the transmission proper which I do not yet myself fully understand? It works all right, but you see, I can't just say all of these eminent professors that I do this and that, poof, it works. I must be able to explain how and why it works. And what is even more important, I must be ready and able to refute every destructive argument they will fail to trot out as they usually do when faced with anything really good. That's Andre talking to Helene. Basically, he's saying it's almost like pseudo mysticism because it's just, I don't know how it works. <laughs> and they address that really well in the 86 version, like yes. the mystery of the flesh and everything. I really, really like it. Well, that. even when he's talking about all the pieces, he basically says, like, I don't know how to make almost any of this equipment, Yep. but I have like the theory. And he's right. like, I ask all these other incredibly smart people to give me the pieces. You make me a laser And I this. assemble it. Yeah. yeah. Which is smart. Right. And it's probably more accurate to what would really happen. If you could oh, make this sure. whole machine by yourself, that would be pretty incredible. Dude, just <laughs> imagine how long it would take, even if you're a fucking genius, how long it would take to make the locking mechanism for the door, cast it in metal. <laughs> machine oh. it. Exactly. Wire it. Not yeah. to mention, he asks the computer questions and it answers. Okay. <laughs> That's my one gripe with a movie that doesn't age well. It's the same thing with the thing where I'm like, God damn it. Yeah. That's not how science is. <laughs> That's it's so prevalent, though, in all the movies. It's like, yes. I give it a pass. <laughs> Hold on. I'm going to try something. I mean, it's the same thing in like Alien. They do the same thing. Right. Or it's like, mother, help us. Google, how do I turn myself from not being a fly into just being me again? <laughs> Dating from a place of self-love. How being yourself changes you. From tinybuddha.com. <laughs> and this, we're a thousand years later. This is bullshit. 
<laughs> so in the book, Helene commits suicide. She had cyanide tablets that she hid in the seams of her dress, which is kind of interesting. Where did she get those pills? I guess from the lab, they don't really oh. touch on it because it's after the fact. You don't know that you don't see her die. They're just like, oh, yeah, she's dead. Oh, and we found another pill in the seam of her dress. Hmm. So there was uh, an interesting part where they bury the matchbox. Do you know what was in it? A fly, I suppose. Yes, I had found it earlier this morning. Caught it in a spider's web in the garden. Was it dead? No, not quite. I crushed it between two stones. Its head was white, all white. That's the version <laughs> that you get in the book. And so like the the trade-off with the, I actually like the ending of the movie better, where it's the detective who's, quote, just as much a killer as Helene. Those of you who don't know, I probably should have started with the start of the movie in the book, which is <laughs> this, you know, factory, there's a steam-powered hammer, and you see this woman running away from her husband whose head and hand has been crushed, right? You come to find out the reason that it's been crushed is because he had turned partially into a fly and she was putting him out of his misery and destroying his work so nobody else would make the same mistake. Here he is, Icarus, flying too close to the scholarly sun, right? And so there's a mystery about it. Why would you kill your husband? I can't say that, blah, blah, blah. And lo and behold, that's why. So the human, he gets the fly head and hand. The fly gets the human head and hand. And so that's where when you hear the high pitched, help me, help me, <laughs> it's a reference to the 1958 fly, which at the very end, they superimpose a man's head and hand onto a terrible fake fly mm -hmm. with an <laughs> adequate spider. <laughs> One last thing. It's on the pretty original. Funny. Yeah. A lot of people seem to think that the original was shot in black and white as well. Now, not true. It was always shot in color. The two sequels, The Return of the Fly and The Curse of the Fly, those are black and white. So it's very understandable that people would make that mistake. But just as a little thing I thought was kind of interesting. And the last thing, there's a garbage pail kid in honor of the original. It is Altered Andre, which features a kid in a lab coat with a fly head and his hand, and he's swatting himself with a fly swatter. <laughs> Isn't that adorable? <laughs> That's pretty awesome. All right. I have notes on the fly, too. I just want to touch at that at the very end because it's, it's very spoiler heavy for this movie. In 2008, Howard Shore, who did the music for the film, premiered an opera, The Fly, at Théâtre des Châtelet in Paris. Kind of cute. Yeah, I'd I see, it. see it. Yeah, exactly, right? I think Gina Davis needs to be a little bit more bosomy. Yeah. Also wear a helmet with some horns on it. Also, we need to change Jeff Goldblum's character's name to Figaro. Okay. Let me hear your best Figaro, Chad. Figaro! 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 There you go. That's all I got. So shall I get into the statistics for this episode? Please stab us. Lots of inconsistent numbers that you see. So this movie, I actually even watched a promo for The Fly 2 that home video markets were sending out. And you know, like, oh, well, based on the success of this, you want to pre-order this many cassette tapes, blah, blah, blah. The Fly was very successful in the cassette market, not so much the theater. Hmm. One of the things behind an R rating. Right. You, see, you always have to factor that in pretty significantly. The budget ranges between 9 and $15 million, which when you think about it is crazy. By today's standards, that's $35 million adjusted for inflation, which when you think of all the practical effects, paying the actors, paying Howard Shore to do the music, that is impressive. Yeah, that's not And this bad at is all. basically because nobody wanted to do this movie except the guy from Blazing Saddles. <laughs> The gross, I've seen that the domestic gross was $37 million, the worldwide being $60.6 million, 
But again, you have everything else. There were so many drafted concepts for sequels. I ran into no fewer than four different ones that were pretty fleshed out. And even the sequel got a sequel in comic book form. Oh, so interesting. Those numbers of themselves are not impressive. But like I said, the franchise element of it, people were very eager and excited about the film. Those were not inflation numbers. Those were those are the originals. Original. That's not bad. It's not terrible. Yeah. And especially you have to factor marketing back then was way less expensive than it is now. Right. And so generally the custom and practice now is to multiply the budget by two. That's how much it actually costs when you've taken, you know, paying for your YouTube ads and your Instagram ads and all that shit. Whereas at this time, you're looking at definitely a 100% return on investment. And so this movie came out August 15th, 1986, almost a year to the day before I was born. <laughs> Competition, July 18th, Aliens. Yeah, you're August not doing 1st, that. Friday the 13th, part six, which is Jake's favorite one. The 15th, Manhunter. And you're like, what's Manhunter? And I'm like, it's Red Dragon, but not Red Dragon. It's before where the guy who's the bad guy from Last Action Hero with the fucking axe, he's Francis Dollar Hyde, and he uses a shotgun with one hand. It's fucking great. And then the 22nd Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Jesus, that's a heavy saturation for this age group and demographic. Am I right? Yes. No wonder we didn't do too well in the box office. This is an artsy film. Of all right. these, no question it's the most artistic, even with Texas Chainsaw 2 getting very esoteric compared to the original. So, yeah, and all those movies, three of the four are sequels, so they already have a vested audience. I think the fact that this movie did so well is huge. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, that competition and, and they're it makes all, it even look better for their budget, too. Right, and they're all kind of like, they fit in the type of the gore and all that, so it's definitely a lot of competition. Oh, yeah, and very effects-heavy. When you look at Aliens and Friday the 13th Part 6 alone, you know, you have some great kills in Jason Lives. Just saying, yep. it's my favorite for a reason. And we get to the runtime, 96 minutes. Beautiful. There's no fat to trim. And I'm the guy who, I watched the original at 1.7 speed because I was like, I don't have the time for that. This, I was like, oh, the pacing is so nice. The swells are so nice. The only scene that's a little weird is the aerobic scene, but I'm so sexually aroused by Jeff Goldrum. It's nice. Yep. Directed by David Cronenberg. How much do you think he wanted to make this movie? 750k he's like hey guys this is what we want so mel brooks goes to the backers and he's like he needs a million dollars <laughs> hoping that the guy will say oh well we'll give you 750 and the guy's like done deal take your million dollars <laughs> and then mel brooks comes back and he goes i counter your 750 with a million and the producer Stuart kornfeld says it's quote the fastest deal i've ever seen in hollywood <laughs> That's amazing. Cronenberg's super famous for doing Shivers, Rabbit, The Brood, Scanners, Videodrome, which we are doing next month as part of our March Madness series, Dead Zone, an episode of Friday the 13th, the TV series called Faith Healer, which is fun for an atheist to do, Naked Lunch, Dead Ringers, huge. He was offered the chance to direct Return of the Jedi and RoboCop. Wow. So I love me some Paul Verhoeven. This intrigues me a lot. Basically, I think you end up with largely a similar film, but without the sardonic like little vignettes and commercials and stuff. So I'm definitely going to go with Paul Verhoeven, but this would be a solid second. And the idea of him directing Ewoks, oh, <laughs> that's just glorious. Usually I don't buy into those. I mean, you see on this show a lot. I very rarely get into like, oh, well, this person auditioned. It's like they fucking read, have everybody read. They, the negotiation, half the time, it's not even a logistical consideration. 
duration. They just want to say, you know, hey, Jim, you want this this directing job? Well, I'm going to have Chad do it, and he's going to make $50,000 less than you. And you go, oh, well, I'll take it for $50,000 less. Chad was never, he's never directing anything I do. <laughs> nope. Never. He's a producer, hence his name. <laughs> so originally, they had sent it to Cronenberg, and Cronenberg was like, oh, I'm doing Total Recall, guys. Peace. And then they went to Robert Bierman. That dude's life sucks because while his family was vacationing in South Africa, while he was in Beverly Hills in a hotel working on this film, his daughter died in an accident. So they suspended production on the film for three months. Mel Brooks is a man of his word and said, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to replace you. I'm going to give you the opportunity. And he called Brooks back. I was like, I just the subject matter and everything. I just can't do it. And they could have contractually made him do it. He's in the making of documentary for this film, talking about how gracious they were and just letting him go. That's, that's crazy. super cool, right? Yeah. Especially when you think not only is it just like people dying and stuff, but it's also the subject matter. Parentage is such a huge element of this movie. Mm. That like, yeah. <laughs> couple more bits of fun trivia that I found. One of the baboons in the pod, his name was Typhoon. and He became so scared of the flashing light that he ripped the door off of the pod. <laughs> and then it was Jeff Goldblum and the director who actually calmed him down by establishing dominance and standing over him, which I thought was, that's bold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely not doing that. Baboons are one of those apes that have like those canines that don't quit. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, baboon canines are like the legs in the ZZ Top song of the same name. <laughs> There's a deleted scene where there's the cat and baboon hybrid. It's filmed. It exists. Goldblum beats it to death with a pipe, which is supposed <laughs> to be a sympathetic thing because, you know, he's tortured just having to do this. Right. They showed it at a Toronto film festival and people like eh, eh, no longer sympathetic. They would rather see this tortured creature live in agony than Jeff Goldblum kill it. This is coming from a vegan. <laughs> Y'all dumb. <laughs> well, it's pretty funny because even like when they totally turn the insides out of the first one, they're kind of like, meh. Yeah. Don't worry, we have sorry, another. Yeah, sorry I had to kill your brother. <laughs> like that's all he says. You're like, okay. A little you, awkward, right? You couldn't use a fucking lab rat. I know. Seriously. No, actually, it's gotta have enough meat to it. <laughs> in the original, he uses a guinea pig after using the cat to what's what's kind of cute when he uses the cat, it's it body doesn't appear on the other telepod and it's just a disembodied meow and he like looks up at the sky. <laughs> like, are you there, God? It's me. But he doesn't even do it like by steps. Because he could have at first been like, I'll use the raw steak that I'm going to try and move yeah. from, you know, and then he's like, no, I'll just throw in the full bamboo, bamboo, boon, baboon, baboon <laughs> first. So in the foreword of the book, The Fly at 50, the creation and legacy of a classic science fiction film, the director of the original, Al David Hedison, said that when they announced they were doing this movie, his phone starts going off the chain. People are calling him. What do you think? They're trying to create gossip, right? And he was like, no, cool. Like, <laughs> I'm happy for him. Good job. He was so gracious with them that they invited him to attend the premiere, which is pretty rad, right? He says afterwards, it was a great film with a very realistic and quite graphic transformation of a man into a fly. However, with all the technological progress we'd made since 1958, they still hadn't figured out how to save the scientist. <laughs> he personally went on to nominate Jeff Goldblum for an Academy Award which I think is just awesome. He says, quote, that's how good I thought he was in the role of Seth Brundle. Going on, my final assessment was that the film was right on and it was wonderful. I hadn't expected to like it, but the story was beautifully done. I walked out of the theater with goose flesh. It had almost everything I wanted to do in my 1958 version and couldn't. 
Yeah, I would totally agree. I mean, even the creature acting he does is great. At oh, one yeah. time, he's like so physically imposing. He seems so strong. And then he's all feeble and weak. But you like you totally feel it just by watching him. And then again, you know, when he's like transforming and the pain, it's like you totally sense all the emotion he goes through. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He does a really great job of evoking sympathy. Yep. And, you know, your your frustration. And even when he's being a malignant shit when he goes off with Tawny, you're still like... But you feel like it's animal instinct, exactly. not just like I'm an ass. It, yeah. It's not hedonism. Right. It's a compulsion. Yeah. It's Tiger Woods. Yeah. Right? I must reproduce. He was a, <laughs> he was suffering when he was slinging dick into those strippers. It's true. <laughs> That's actually how he busted his back and knees. You know that, right? He was going, rock to the rock to the rock to the rock to the rock. So the now the script is a whole other can of butt fucking worms. These worms, you know, they be butt fucking. Mm-hmm. So the original draft is Charles Edward Pogue. So co-producer Kip Oman had the idea to remake The Fly, right? And he goes to Pogue and finds out Pogue. He's represented by the same agent and knows that Pogue is friends with an executive, uh, David Madden and Joe Wisdom over at Fox. And so he's like, hey, this is perfect. You write it. We'll take it over there. We'll have Fox make it. Fox owns it. So Pogue is like, quote, I wasn't totally convinced I was the guy to do it. So even with the circumstances being as they were, this dude went on to do like Cole the Conqueror. He's not your sci-fi guy, really. Right. So he does it. He makes a draft. They go over. At the time that he agrees to start writing it, he had never even seen the original film or read it. He was just doing it off of the goodwill of his friend Kip, which how do you end up with a name like Kip? Mm. I don't like it. Unless you're like an adventurer a la like Indiana Jones and you're wearing leather all the time, Kip doesn't work for me. (laughs) One of the things that he was frustrated by when he starts the project is Andre is a passive hero. He can't emote. Whether it's in the movie or the book. In the book, it starts with him being dead. You know, in the movie... Because of the way that the visual is done, yeah, it starts with him being dead, but you actually get to see him as a character and they add more to it in the movie. So he was already frustrated by that. So initially they do the outline, which is a closure to the story, but Stuart Kornfeld, the producer, wanted it to be a longer, more drawn out metamorphosis, which is kind of interesting because in the original, he reveals himself to Helene and he's already a flyhead. In fact, he's hiding it from the very first instance. So you don't get the agony of what's happening. The tension. Right. Yeah. And that, that's honestly what makes this movie. Exactly. So when he goes to Fox, they're like, all right, fine, fucking go go write it. So they write it. And they're like, no, we don't want to do this movie. <laughs> so then Omen negotiates and says, all right, fine. You don't want to make this movie. You don't want to sell us the rights to make the movie ourselves. What about this? What if we go make the movie and you just distribute the movie? That is very, like, that's a, a sophisticated gamble to have already done all this work on their dime because Fox paid him to do the draft of the script. Whatever. They go off to Brooks film. You know, he had done The Elephant Man. So Mel Brooks is, he's got, he's just dipping his toe into the, you know, ugly people being on film thing. <laughs> so he has issues with the script. He calls and he's yelling at Pogue. He says that he keeps using the word badinage, which I had to look up. Even with my <laughs> 10 penny verbiage and lexicon, I had to look it up. It means frivolous. And it, they come to find out he'd only read the first 10 pages. So Kornfeld is like, hey, how about you read the whole fucking script? You get back to us. Which, again, huge gamble when nobody wants to make your movie but the guy who's yelling at you. And then he's he completely agrees. And he's like, oh, this is a great movie. But he still maintains his Mel Brooks charm. In a meeting with Pogue, he said, quote, if I say it's wrong, it's wrong because I'm a genius and I'm always right. <laughs> but you gotta love. And so they ended up hiring another writer, Waylon Green, to rewrite it. And his draft is even fucking worse. And then when Cronenberg comes in, 
he's like, okay, if you want me to do this movie, I want to do a rewrite of the script. And so they kick, so they rehired Pogue after they fired him. So it goes Pogue, Green, Pogue, Cronenberg. <laughs> but then Cronenberg goes to bat for this fool and insists that he gets a writing credit, even though all he did was rewrite somebody else's rewritten script. You know what I mean? So he goes to bat and says, I would never have had a fucking film to work on if you hadn't done it, which is very gracious. Yeah. Makes me like David Cronenberg. One quick thing. Pogue did do Psycho 3. If you haven't uh, seen Psycho 3. No, don't, don't. Uh, four is the one where it gets weird with the incest. Three is a fun kind of slasher film. Two is legitimately good. Incest is best. Haven't you seen Pornhub lately? <laughs> <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> and I believe the term you're looking for is wincest. <laughs> And so in the original draft, Veronica gets back with Stathis and then is haunted by dreams of uh, giving birth to hatching flies. Oh. Which is also haunting. Yeah. Not going to lie. I love the the birthing scene. Oh, my God. It's so gnar, right? <laughs> yeah. Crazy. In The Fly 2, you actually get to see the birth and what it is. We'll get to that later, Jim. You'll look like you're Twitter-pated with anticipation. <laughs> One last thing I wanted to touch on as far as the writing process goes. Cronenberg has basically been like, I know you're all transposing this view of HIV and AIDS onto what Jeff Goldblum's character goes to in this movie. Not my intention at all. <laughs> he was looking at it something like cancer or just the degenerative process of age. It is inevitable. You know, like he's, there's nothing you can do. It, it, the way that he's experiencing this pain and everything. And I was like, I having had family members who did die of AIDS, I'm like, I think that both are interchangeable. Some of the, like the blotching on his skin and stuff yeah. I've seen. What's great is, you know, technically we're not in the AIDS epidemic anymore. You could see that. You could see cancer. What's great about both his portrayal, the costuming, the script, it's timeless. It is the just the pain of slow death, right? Yeah. It kind of reminded me of watching Chernobyl and all the like radioactive contamination where the people were just like decaying. That yeah. was kind of similar. Disgusting. Yeah. Also. Yeah. yeah. Like skin falling off and hair losing. Yeah. It was pretty good. The one thing I watched of it was that and I was like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. No, it was good. And so kind of talking about his you know, story structure and also HIV. I think that one of the reasons he picks cancer and the degenerative process of age is this author, Mark Browning, had pontificated that when Cronenberg does his works, generally he keeps very gray chronologies and he removes as much cultural affectation as he can from it so that it can apply anytime. Like literally, if you change this computer, Jeff Goldblum just looks like a fucking hipster, <laughs> right? Yeah. If you put like an LCD dual monitor display and maybe you have him driving like a Tesla, it's the same fucking movie. Yeah. Crazy. Which I didn't realize when I was a kid because when I was a kid, it was closer to the time. When I'm watching this in the 90s, it was just the 80s. It was like a hop, skip and a jump ago. Right. But now that we're 30 plus years in, oh, I'm so old. <laughs> you can see it. Music by Howard Shore, who's also Canadian, like David Cronenberg, who's done basically everything Cronenberg's done. Brood, Scanners, Video Drum, Dead Ringers, Naked Lunch, M. Butterfly, Crash, Cosmopolis, all of it. He also did, oh, I don't know, have you ever heard of this movie, it's called Sounds of the Lambs? Hmm. Uh, no. Uh, did you ever see Dogma, Lord of the Rings? Or no. Ooh, doing that thing you do, making my heart into a million pieces. I'm going to keep singing it until you acknowledge me, Jim. Do you know that movie? <laughs> no. He's oh, it's learned so not charming. <laughs> You've seen it, right, Chad? Oh, yeah. Chad's Actually, seen everything. Oh, I think I might have. It's got the guy who was in An American Werewolf in Paris that Paris. sucks. <laughs> no, I don't think I have seen it. It's great. It's a great date night movie. It ends on like a kind of like, I don't know, it's good. I remember being a kid, that was one of the first like somber movie endings that I really, really liked. 
So when you're done watching Jeff Goldblum lose his ears and ejaculate at his fingertips, why don't you go treat yourself to that thing you do? I'm Tom Hanks, I'm down. Oh yeah, he plays the producer. Mm-hmm. As in, I wonder what happened to the O'Neaters. You'll know what that means soon enough. <laughs> Makeup by Chris Wallace. What did Chris Wallace do, Jim? You know this. A little film called Gremlins. Oh, oh. <laughs> and then he went on to direct The Fly 2 because he was, yeah. Anyway, no big deal. The crew referred to the final Brundlefly as the quote-unquote space bug. And one of the things that was really interesting, Wallace was very aware that people were familiar with air bladders where you blow into with a straw to make something bulge. You'd even seen it in Gremlins when you see the back pustules going. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things they were doing in that final transformation, they were using a mold of Jeff Goldblum's head to push through rather than just air. So it had more of a tangible effect, which when you watch it, having read that, it definitely makes a lot of sense. And for Stathis's melting hand and foot, he just did the old Indiana Jones trick. Yeah. <laughs> where he, he molds the skeletal burning hand and then just builds up on top of it with gelatin, which is horse hooves. So he's kind of a monster. And then they <laughs> melt it with an air dryer. How cool is that? Yeah, you could definitely tell. Like it's a fast forward and it's like, yeah. And so the lamp in Wallace's office is the burnt hand. And then the guy who played Stathis actually got to keep the foot that he keeps in his freezer. Oh, that's kind of fun, isn't it? Little mementos. So when they're conceiving the film, Cronenberg comes to him. He's like, hey, bud, when we're casting this little film of ours, what are you looking for in a makeup subject? And he says that he wants somebody with no bridge in his nose (laughs) and very flat ears. And they cast Jeff Goldblum. Neither of those things are the case, but <laughs> luckily <laughs> Wallace was a big fan and was like, okay, we'll, we'll make it work. And they made it work really well. But his body was like perfect for the time because he's kind of lanky, but he was also a little bit shredded. Yeah. So, you know. A little bit. Well. Yeah, compared know. to us, I'm like, <laughs> the fuck are you saying? Mine's, mine's underneath all this, but it's there. Well, he was like <laughs> literally carrying weights onto the set and like pumping. To yeah. Get bulked up, which is, Jeff Goldblum is rad. But before they have him like integrated with the fly he's very like relaxed and he's not trying not to flex that much it's christopher reeves yeah and then as soon as he gets in he's like they pump him up he's like ah yeah it's pretty good legitimately i thought of christopher reeve as clark kent and as superman yeah like it is that staunch a comparison and he does it so well but imagine you go from clark kent to superman to cancer boy yeah like (laughs) not trying to demean people who've suffered from (laughs) cancer i literally just lost two grandparents to it in the last month so maybe I'll edit this out. Maybe I won't. Probably won't. I usually forget to do that. Even when I'm listening to it, I'm like, eh, people like seeing behind the emerald curtain or whatever. My point is, like, think of uh, Superman Returns, right? I like Brandon Ralph. He's a good Superman. I think he yeah. does both Clark Kent and Superman really, really well. I agree. I say that his Superman's better than Reeves. His Kent, maybe not so. But when he gets like hurt with the green rock, he's not playing it this well. No. 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 That's why Jeff Goldblum is Superman. <laughs> right? I'd watch it. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum as Iron Man, dog. I'm uh, um, uh, Iron Man. Uh, <laughs> there you go. That's better. <laughs> Thank you. Edited by Ron Sanders, who met with Cronenberg one time. And Cronenberg was like, um, yeah, can you come back in like an hour? I'm busy. So he goes and sees a movie and comes back. Cronenberg's like, hey, man, what's up? They talked about motorcycles and car racing for the next two hours. And he got the job without even mentioning film. <laughs> But Cronenberg's such a gearhead that the pods in this film are actually based on engine parts, which is kind of cool. Oh, it looks cool. Yeah. yeah. So I have rambled for over a half an hour. I had to prove to everybody I was well-researched because I very much love this film. So will somebody else start walking us through nicknames? Nicknames? Prick names? 
All right. Nicknames for Jeff Goldblum. Do you have anything, Jimmy? I was just thinking more of uh, the sexy nerd, which he also plays in Jurassic Park. Nature uh, finds a way. Uh, yeah. Malcolm. Malcolm. <laughs> Ian Malcolm. I was going to call him Brundlefly. Brundlefly, yeah. Brundlefly. That's just mine. <laughs> I like that. What's fun is Cronenberg, when he's doing his rewrite, a lot of the, he changed a lot. One of the key things being names. And so he names Brundle based off of the driver going again to him being a gearhead, Martin Brundle. What's his son's name in the sequel? Boom! Marty Bo Brundle! <laughs> <laughs> Martin. It's Martin. Okay. Yeah. Who plays Martin, by the way? Eric Stoltz. <laughs> Eric Stoltz, the guy who was the original Marty McFly, which the fact that that happened still <laughs> melts my brain that they filmed almost an entire movie and this guy. Okay, Jim, let me ask you a legitimate question. If we were recording this podcast and about three quarters of the way through, Chad and I are like, you know what? No. We bring in somebody else. We re-record the exact same podcast without you. Do you ever record a podcast again? Nope. But Stoltz went on to have a whole career. How does this happen? It's crazy. There's a deleted scene where a limb popped out of his side as he was exiting the building. Kind of wish that was in so that he starts to become more insectoid. He wrote Vincent Price a letter saying that he hoped that Vince liked his movie as much as he liked his. And Vincent Price went out of his way to say that he did like it, but he did admit that it went, quote, a little too far. Yeah, but that's because he's old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And the last note I have on him, the studio head Larry Gordon thought that casting Goldblum was, quote, a horrible mistake, but it was the filmmaker's mistake to make and let them do it. And then he ends up being iconic. Yeah, that's crazy. What a dick move, though. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, right? You guys die on this hill yeah. that you don't even know you're standing on. Exactly. Right? <laughs> also, I'm not even paying for you to make this movie, so what the fuck ever. Yeah, that's crazy. All right. So Gina Davis as Veronica. I wanted to call her a league of their own. I was going to call her Dottie. <laughs> <laughs> There's no crying in baseball. That's Was that a good Tom Hanks impersonation? No. No. <laughs> I feel like I did. I feel like I kind of nailed it. I've been watching a lot of Toy Story with the kid lately. I'm pretty sure that's what he sounds like. Did you know that Linda Hamilton was Cronenberg's first choice? No. Remember she did the show Beauty and the Beast with Ron Perlman? Mm-hmm. Typecast. <laughs> but then she did Terminator. She got to have sex with the guy who'd later play Hicks. Yeah. Hot dog. I just died in your arms tonight. <laughs> All right. <laughs> she was actually dating Jeff Goldblum at the time, and she had been helping him run lines. So Goldblum contacted the filmmaker. It's like, hey, as a favor to me, will you let my girlfriend read? Hmm. She read first. Cronenberg's like, I want to hire her. And they're like, nah, it's not her. It's the script is really good. So let's keep going through. We'll see. Nobody else is as good. They hired her. Kornfeld described her as, quote, astounding. And then one of the directions that Cronenberg had given her in preparing for the role was to think of Seth as somebody who she loves, like dying of cancer and watching them deteriorate. You can see that in her performance because even when things are good, she's very wary and she's very tepid. And I think that she does a really good job. I mean, she's kind of the straight man, but I mean, she's sympathetic. She's still empowered. I mean, it's a crazy role to take in the 80s, a woman who's like dying to have an abortion. Mm hmm. I mean, think if you did that now, it's still people would be like, oh, Bible Belt. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, her character is all over the place because it's like a messed up relationship with her boss. And then she's pretty dang forward with Brendel Fly. Yeah. Yeah. So then she gets judgment on that end too. For being like the assertive one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 
you a skank. And then she wants the abortion. And you're just like, that's a lot of... Uh, a very empowered woman. Yeah. She's telling her boss, keep your dirty dick where it doesn't... Oh, no, actually, she's saying, keep your dick dirty and don't shower in my house. <laughs> and then she's saying, give me that dick, Jeff Goldblum. Get it out them sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's saying, get this maggot dick outside of me so I can put on my sweatpants. <laughs> Next. Next, uh, John Gentz as... What, what's his name? Stathis. Stathis. Stathis Borans. Borans. So on the day that he was auditioning, he actually had a migraine. And so Cronenberg was like, when they're filming, because the first scene that he films with Gina Davis is when she's pitching the idea to him. I don't know if you noticed, but he's holding his face like the whole time and saying, oh, you got Carney, Carney tricked or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it's because Cronenberg was like, hey, have a migraine again. Do that thing. <laughs> when, when your director has a, such a singular vision, it's pretty impressive. Apparently, he had actually been involved in this film for so long, he actually had read the original script and Cronenberg's script and gave the high praise to Cronenberg, saying that he had made it much better. Huh. And then one of the things that was very awkward, and he seems to be very delicately phrasing, I think this was a much more intense shoot than people would give it credit for, because Goldblum was getting in character, especially when it came to like the more manic elements of his relationship. And he was in a relationship with Gina Davis at the time. And so at one point, yeah. Goldblum had to be asked to leave the set because he was watching her acting so intensely. <laughs> Wow. And then he With his said, big eyes like, ah. right. <laughs> and so he goes on to say like that the film was, quote, more antagonistic than it would have been otherwise because both Davis and Goldblum are aggressive to him. He's not he doesn't get sympathy or camaraderie with either of them, which is really interesting. That's a, a very subtle point that I think, you know, reality informing the art. Yeah. Very interesting. As far as nicknames go, I was going to call him Beardo. He looks like one of the guys from The Thing, the guy with the dogs. That's true. Yeah. But Beardo is all I had. Did anybody have anything better? No, I was just going to call him the ass because he's just so weird and overpossessive. How about we call him ass man? Ass man. Ass man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Then you have Joy Bochelle. How do you say that? What's oh. your name? I don't know. As Tawny. The she, whore. <laughs> she was in Terror Train. Look Who's Talking. And then nothing. She acted from literally 1980 to 1990 and never acted again. And I couldn't find fuck all about her after that. How crazy. She beats me. Good for her. <laughs> she doesn't really need a nickname because she just no. gets... Yeah. I mean, Surprisingly few amount of actors in this movie. Crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. Kind of and thrilling. not even a lot of uh, scene changes. Most of it takes place in the building yeah. and one apartment. Very cheap. Mm -hmm. Right? So as far as the nickname goes, she's just chattel. I'm going to call her chattel a legal way of referring to someone's property <laughs> because she is clearly Marky's chattel. And we'll get to him, George Chuval Chuvalo, as Marky, a Canadian heavyweight boxer. Oh, interesting. The prosthetic where his arm breaks was made in like two days because that Wallace and his team were so worried about, you know, kind of the movie's called The Fly. This isn't over the top, right? So the little minor scene with the arm wrestling kind of low on your list of priorities. But then as it came up, they're like, oh, fuck, we have to make an arm that breaks. <laughs> and it still looks that it looks good. Really good. It is. Dude. I've seen arms break like that during arm wrestling. It's pretty fascinating. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's because they're stupid. They didn't turn their hat around backwards. That's right. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> as far as nicknames, I don't have. Yeah, no. He doesn't need one. How about, oh, you know what? You know, check this out. Check this out. Check this out. You'll love this. You'll love this. So let's take uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum uh, 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 <laughs> and we shave him bald. We put him in black, all black with like a shirt that has a white skull on it. And he says, disarm you with my hand. Da, 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 da. Smashing pumpkins. It's a deep cut. Hmm. <laughs> 
one of my all-time favorite bands here, fellas. I, I can forgive Chad for not musicking, but Jim, <laughs> do you never did Smashing Pumpkins? I mean, just what got played on the radio. Bitch. <laughs> yeah. You gotta treat Should yourself. I, go back? Okay. Oh, I didn't dive. I had no idea they were one of your, your favorites. Oh, so good. Literally two of my top five favorite concerts of all time. Both. What are Smashing two Pumpkins. songs that I would know from the radio? Oh, a bullet with butterfly wings. Despite rage oh, i'm okay. still just a fly in the sky <laughs> <laughs> okay i know that one all right perfect and then there's there's so many to choose from <laughs> you in your your era would have heard the song tarantula off of zeitgeist mm, no i don't know any titles of any uh unless the lyrics are tarantula cherub rock <laughs> what <laughs> 1979 you at least recognize oh i sort of recognize him now yeah, billy Horgan. He got me back into watching pro wrestling for a while. Hmm. He was part owner of, or actually he is the owner of NWA at this point. So he does like all these wrestling vignettes and stuff. And I'm like, how are you so cool? You're what I could have been if I didn't sell out. I might cut all this. This is a long rambling segment about nothing. <laughs> so David Cronenberg actually played the gynecologist? Yep. Interesting. Fun fact. My friend and I were driving to the movies when we were middle school. And you guys played gynecologist? No. Oh. We, drove, <laughs> we drove by a gynecologist's office in what some would describe as a barrio. And there was a sign right next to a salon. So, the, you know, the salon. Remember like the late 80s, 90s, where like the very minimal art style where it's like the vavoom hair and very, very smoky eyes. So it's that image. And right next to it, it said El Gynecolegio. <laughs> and we laughed for four blocks as we got to the movie theater because it was just such a great juxtaposition. Did you know he has a cameo in Jason X? No. But I'll tell you the best cameo, The Stupids with Tom Arnold. Wow. I'm my own grandpa. Yeah. I need to watch that again. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I humbly submit that for Trashers, that movie be taken in consideration. I'll totally be down for that one. Perfect. He doesn't need one. The Vag Guy. Dr. McVaginstein. That works. Not going to remember He's that. only in it for like two minutes. Yeah. And he's not even the guy who's going to do the abortion anyway. Yeah. Whatever. Fuck him. So since you did that segment, I'll do the recapitation. Jeff Goldblum uh, plus Fly uh, equals Brundlefly. I mean, really, this is a movie that's very much like Jaws. Yeah. It's visual storytelling is so good, you don't need to worry about. They don't even have to dip into fucking pseudoscience at all. You're just like, okay, I, I get it. Yeah. it. It all makes sense. Yeah. In the context of this world, it makes sense. Also, think about 1957. You did not have teleporters. How crazy is that? <laughs> yep. This dude's just like, oh, yeah, not only are we going to have teleporters, we're also going to use gene splicing. I agree. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I'm really excited about this one. Sorry. All right. So the movie opens with the credits rolling and there are a bunch of blurry colors. And if you look closely, it's people walking around yep. and it's supposed to represent fly vision, right? I think so. That kind of kaleidoscopic. Yeah, that's what I got from it. The transition is to a clear view and people are at a gathering in the story. See Gina Davis and Goldblum talking and Goldblum is talking about what he's working on, something that will change the world. And he's clearly talking at her, not with her, which I love. Right. Yeah. She's already like, I don't care, dude. Very interesting open, though. It's great. Yeah. Also, it's so dry. So like when Harry met Sally, compared yes. to what you're going to see, it's like, am I, am I in the right movie? You dive into an awkward conversation of a man who doesn't have that much human connection trying to pick up a woman. Yeah. And you're like, oh, weird. I think if somebody were going to play this character modernly, they might play it more like, quote, on the spectrum. You know what yes. I mean? Make him just a little bit more 
naive. I like that he's not overly naive where he's like, oh, sex, what's that all about? No, they kind of make him seem like he has some game because she's interested yeah. from the get go, kind of like she seems like she's even playing him on. Also, real quick thing. Why the fuck isn't this on Disney Plus? That's what I was thinking. Because <laughs> it's, it's rated Fox. R. Fuck them. Let me tell you. They don't have anything on there right fuck now. Fuck them. It's rated R. Stupid I don't think they ever will. Monster. Yep. Oh, they will. No. Yep. They it's have to. It's going to be bonus, dude. I just, they bought. Think of all the shit they bought from 20th Century Fox that's rated R. I just could imagine. It like, has to be a separate thing, but they're going to have to do it. Disney Plus Max. <laughs> <laughs> Disney Plus After Dark. Oh. So. Oh my god! I just looked at my own notes, and I'm so excited for what's coming. <laughs> so Brundlefly, I'm going to refer to him as now, and Dottie. So he he invites her back to his lab to show her, and then we f- find out that she has a bunch of other interviews to do. So she's there for a magazine, and he says again, "Change the world as we know it." Have you guys seen his Apartments.com commercials? Yeah, they're great. Yeah, yeah. Is that what that's from? Yep. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure <laughs> he's referencing this. Yeah. Did you notice that at the art thing that they're at? There's like these three glowing white orbs that are part of this like installation. With the laser and it, on the it. laser yeah. says art. <laughs> yeah. It's the funniest <laughs> fucking thing in the world to me. I don't know why. I literally laughed out loud while my wife was watching Dracula on Netflix and she like looks over at me like, You're watching the fly. You're not supposed to be laughing right now. <laughs> to be fair, there is a lot of funny lines. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. it's good. Next scene is Dottie driving and Brundlefly is in the car with her and he's getting sick. <laughs> and- <laughs> He says it's not from drinking that he just gets sick from motion and he puked on his tricycle as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> How sad. It's, it's so like pathetic. the weirdest way of being like, oh, I'm going to invent teleportation because I get car sick. I love it though. Or because I get motion sick of yeah. any kind. <laughs> Honestly, it reminds me of like Mike Wazowski and Monsters University where it's like this like cute little <laughs> insight into this little kid and you're, you're feeling very sympathetic and you're rooting for him instantaneously because yeah. you know like this guy suffered his whole life. so they pull up to the lab it's a really dumpy building but they get inside it's cleaner brundlefly sits at the piano and starts to play and then Dottie kind of gets cold feet about the interview have you ever heard jeff goldblum's jazz yes dude's proficient i'm actually i'm I'm into it Mm -hmm. i've also heard linda carter sing jazz she is delightful national butt fucking treasure no idea who that is nope wonder woman oh okay yep she was very nice she pulled me close to her and we took a picture together. Hmm. I mean, maybe it's because of my really good look. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> Basically, Wonder Woman wanted to sit on my face. <laughs> Basically. So he fires up the computers and we see the telepods and he explains them. They foreshadow because they she like looks under the tarp and he's like, ah, that's the old telepod. Yep. Which comes into play later. I love it. Dottie calls them designer phone booths. <laughs> Which they do, they look, I think they look really cool still. Yeah, they do. Hold up hard. Yeah. Because they look dirty too. Like like you could easily put these in the background of Event Horizon to be perfect. Yeah. (laughs) But they look like reinforced. They still look, you know, futuristic. Industrial. You could totally take them and use like update all the other technology and keep those the same. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally see Trent Reznor being like, I want to fuck you like an animal. In these pods. I don't know if you've ever seen that. That's a reference to industrial. Chad, oh. that's a type of music. Oh. Yeah. Not just a type of revolution. Okay. That's the only thing I knew. <laughs> so he wants to show her every, how it works. So he asks for a personal item from her and she gives him a stocking. Yeah, dude. Yeah. This she's is where you. Game. Exactly. She <laughs> wants like, the deed the whole time. <laughs> she's like, look, you're weird. I don't like being here, but you better fuck me. I can give you a purse. No, I'll take off a stocking. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> All sexy like. Yeah. Or. 
How about this? A pen. You're a journalist. Yeah. <laughs> Take out your pen. Brundlefly is talking to the computer to log in. And I love it when he whispers to the computer. Yeah. It reminds me so much of <laughs> Dexter's <laughs> laboratory. <laughs> Omelette du fromage. <laughs> so the stocking gets zapped in one pod and disappears. And then computer says teleportation successful. And the other telepod has the stocking. And she thinks it's a, a joke or a gag or whatever. A magic trick. But she does start recording. Without him knowing. Right. So yep. she, she pops the recorder in her pocket and she's asking him how he does it all by himself and how, talked about this earlier, how he sends out for other people, sends out the work and he puts it all together at the end. So he finds out that she was recording and he gets mad. And frantic. He, yeah, yeah, like frantic. Because he does not want her or anything to be put out because it's not, not ready. And so the next scene is her playing the tape for her editor, Mr. Assman. <laughs> I'm an Assman. <laughs> and so we, she works at uh, Particle Mag Magazine. Particle Mag, Particle Mag. <laughs> you don't know they might be giants? There, there was a Does a, whatever a particle can. Well, what's it like? You've never. Okay. I mean, I know. I've never. I, it's the Spider Man song, but. No. What? Dude. No, it's. A, <laughs> there's yeah. even a Tiny Toon Adventures. Where, oh, That's my God. That's what I remember the wrestling one from Tiny Toon Adventures. With, with like Dizzy Duck. Is it Dizzy? What's the duck's name? Uh, yes. Well, with the little know. duck, the protege of Daffy, where he pro wrestles giant herculoids. Yeah. It's, He's oh, like it's Universe so Man versus. Yeah. Uh, Hit in the face yeah. with a frying pan. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> Do yourself a favor. Uh, After no this episode, Watch that and then treat yourself to that thing you do. <laughs> Great double feature. So her editor is being a dick and says she fell for a con man and the trickster. And then the f she gets a phone call and it's down like downstairs or whatever in the office. And then Brundlefly comes in and he basically says he just wants to talk to her in this. So they go out for burgers. Yeah. Oh, magic word. Cheeseburgers. Cheeseburgers. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> he shows up to try and stop them from printing it and the editor doesn't believe him at all. So it's kind of like a... Yeah, he doesn't care. Yeah, he doesn't matter. He dismisses him and says, you know, if you are in the business of making things disappear, I got an assistant editor who I have no use for, which I thought... Yeah. That's very dismissive. Mm-hmm. And what's great is, did you know that when Tony Stark is eating cheeseburgers, it's a reference to this? Mm. Not true. Just wanted to see if I could hoodwink Jim. Mm. And when he squinted <laughs> at me immediately, I was like, that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Cunning bastard. So they're out to lunch and he's basically pleading with her not to let it get out. And he comes clean saying that he could only teleport inanimate objects. Mm -hmm. And he basically at this point, he wants her to be a part of it. He wants her to write a book about it and be there right. and monitor it. And basically write his story. Yeah, to stop her from printing immediately. Right. He offers a book deal, which will be a lot later, and a full coverage, yeah, on all the science-y parts. Which I actually really love. Like, it's also kind of a coy way of, like, getting closer with her. Mm -hmm. So it serves everybody's interest. A, it puts out the immediate fire. B, it aggrandizes him in the long term. But then C, he gets to, you know, slap nuts with her guts. That big, huh? <laughs> <laughs> He's not hung like a fly. Yeah. I love the, <laughs> the line from the ex-boyfriend in the shopping mall, whatever. She's like, it's big. It's huge. And he's like, what do you mean? His cock or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I bet you Jeff Goldblum's hung. <laughs> For sure. He has a swagger about him where I am absolutely, I, I am certain of very few things in life, but the fact that his dick is bigger than mine is absolutely certain. <laughs> so the next scene is Dottie at home. She's coming in, she hears a noise, and she finds Ass Man in the shower. And she's kind of, she's pissed off at him. She flushes the toilet and gets blasted with hot water. Ow! <laughs> so he comes out, and they're talking, they're talking about the Brundlefly. 
He did some research on him. He was inches away from a Nobel Prize in physics. When he was 20. <laughs> right. So at this point, he's starting to take her more seriously, a little bit. And it's only because he's being a creep. Right. Yes. But you could see it's not the ulterior motive of proving her right and saying, oh, this because she he doesn't look at his accomplishments. He looks at him as a guy because they go out to cheeseburgers together. Right. So even then, like it's reinforcing. And what's what's interesting is they establish this guy and he seems kind of irredeemable, but they don't go really too far. Like he's bad, but then he does the right things and stuff. And it, it, he's a right. really a lot better character than I gave him credit for as a kid. Yeah, it's it's an interesting character for sure. Like, I don't think even at the end, if she like was with him at the end, it still wouldn't make much sense because he's not like a good guy. He does save her. <laughs> yeah. But it's not like, I don't know. It doesn't a, seem like he's being romantic. Exactly. No. And that's the thing that's interesting. I, I seem to remember him being much more self-serving. The one time I gave him credit was when she is going to get the abortion. She's like screaming and he's like, I think you're in an emotional state. Let's step back. Let you have time. That was like the one part where I was like, oh, okay. He maybe cares about her yeah, rather he, than being like, do it. <laughs> he plays it straight too. He's not right. playing it like overly placating. Like, oh, you really want to think about this when inside he's like, kill that baby, kill that baby, baby. Yeah. But I think his whole character just screams of like he wants control sort of a thing. Yeah. I like that he's bearded like you. Yes. <laughs> he does have a nice beard. But he's, he's a gray character that's a lot of times gray characters are like dead center gray. Yeah. And he's like off to the left, like closer to black gray. Yeah. Which is makes for great character in this movie. Yeah. And a great foil because your hero is not a white character. You know, he's not completely without sin. He's not completely without, you know, conflict. And it's way more complicated than I think your average 90 minute movie is. Yeah, I agree. There is not a single black person in this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a problem. Or actually anyone of color. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, wait, no. He like I mean, looks at a guy in the store and that's it. There's like some ethnic dude in the store. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Why did> that? <laughs> so when he's in the, her apartment, we find out this is when we find out that they had a relationship. Yep. Obviously, he has a key. She asked for it back. Says he'll keep it for old time's sake. Well, yeah. And that's like the you get a total like, what the hell? This guy's yeah. creepy. And that is truly like the worst that he gets, which I think, you know, obviously him groveling and being antagonistic later on. That's bad. But this is like the most cruel I think he is. Right. Because this isn't like a knee jerk reaction. This is planned. He's invaded her space. He's being. Cruel. Yeah. But when he's in the store, it's because he is officially stalking her outside of that, too. Yeah, but I'm saying that's it, more of a knee-jerk reaction, you know, whereas this is this is planned. This is a yeah. scheme. This is constructed evil versus that where it's like more impulsive. Heat of the moment. It was the heat of the moment. Tell me what you meant. Hmm. Know that song? I do, actually. Okay. I was going to say, <laughs> don't lie. So the next scene find us, us at the Brundlefly Lab. It never meant to be so bad to you. <laughs> you guys both let me hang it. Fuck you guys. I'm going to stop singing. You guys like, finally. That's just because I didn't know it. You don't know. God. You know, I if I know it, I sing along. I've done it in like three different episodes. Yeah. You're, you're a good sport. <laughs> so we're back at the Brundlefly Lab and Dottie is setting up a camcorder. Oh, so and this old. is where they he wants to teleport a baboon because why not a mouse or a rat? Yeah, this is harsh. Yeah, it's, it's hard really to gross. watch. It's such a pretty baboon, too. It's cute. Yeah, yeah. I so would he, be friends with him. 
So he, he teleports it and then the other they don't open the door. They just kind of look at it and then the, the bloody hand hits it and then they open it and the boon, that boon is inside out. Writhing yeah. in pain. Did they file end. down his teeth? Because I did not see the big huge canines on that baboon. Yeah, I think it's just a I different think, breed. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't think they don't really always they're not like it's not like a warthog where they're just hanging out all the time so, yeah, no but like they're tusk, like pretty visible usually yeah. usually and also mandrills have huge uh, canines as well but baboons are typically very like volatile to work with like remember when we did the episode on the omen they had to like save them from the baboons in the car yeah so, it's interesting yeah this this is really harsh and i think that jeff goldblum he's you know the vessel for the audience here like he takes it so seriously and it's a mix of the killing the animal the failure in his work his failure causing that i mean it also goes back to the original book where they talk about you know the investigators like oh well did he ever you know test it on animals and his brother who's played by vincent price like no he would never risk that he like they believe life is completely sacrosanct so it's so true to the character in such a carnal level so she goes on recording him after the baboon and he's kind of explaining about the computer how the computer's really dumb and it's not really dumb and it's the computer only does what you tell it it only so, does what it's it, yeah you the failure it is him basically. so and then it cuts to him laying down and <laughs> dotty's over in the corner just like watching him she's asking questions about his life why he wears the same clothes all over how he has the same outfit five times in his closet and how he learned it from Einstein so he doesn't have to waste thought on what he's going to wear. Which Zuckerberg is, does that. Yeah, it's played out now. Everyone says that now. All those but people. Back in the 80s, you're like, oh, that's neat. Yeah. But also, uh, can we talk about how uh, her bloodlust is fucking disgusting and kind of terrifying? She sees an inside-out baboon, mm-hmm. fucks the dude who does it, and then she talks about craving his meat, kissing his bloody wound, and talking about how old ladies want to eat babies. Yeah. <laughs> I love how he has the epiphany from that. <laughs> oh! The Makes carnal flesh. flesh. <laughs> yeah. But how many times do you suck your dick in crazy? Yeah. I, I, I had flashbacks where I was like, <laughs> everything was normal. Sex was fine. What? <laughs> What's happening now? You're biting my back blood? <laughs> so this is where they get the idea to put the steak in the teleporter and then cook it. And they do a little blind test taste. And so she eats one of the steaks. It's good. And then she tastes the second one and she calls it tasting synthetic. synthetic. The Pepsi challenge. <laughs> This is where he says he has to teach the computer to be crazy about the flesh. He says that, quote, the computer is giving us its interpretation of a steak. Something is getting lost in the translation. Right. And here I thought it was a little interesting Like they didn't do like some, I don't know, scan or something of a human body. Instead, he's like, I'll just type it this computer and it will understand the human anatomy. <laughs> I think it kind of goes to the whole metaphysical element of it. Like they don't really talk about the ghost in the machine or the soul, but basically, that's kind of what they're talking about, it seems like. Right. Which I, I think is interesting because just because you put the ingredients in doesn't mean it's made the same way. I learned that when I watched MasterChef and I'm like, this person had an egg and some shit in a box and they made flambe. And meanwhile, I could have all these fresh ingredients that cost me $1,000 at Sprouts and I can make my kid a grilled cheese. <laughs> <laughs> it's that vegan cheese. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> So the next scene is where Dottie's at the store. She's going to buy. Or she she leaves the lab and you see ass man waiting in his car to follow her. And did you notice his license plate? I'm an ass man. <laughs> <laughs> it's the name of like his magazine. Yeah. Particle. Meaning he's just even more of an ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's in the store. Also, it implies that he's been sleeping in his fucking car all night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. It's creepy. So she's in there looking for a jacket for Brundle. Right. It's for her. 
I thought it was for him because isn't he's like no, it's for him. She measures it against her and doubles like the length of the arm. She's measuring it for him, and then he was like because he oh, only wears so cute. He only wears five sets of clothes. So like after when they celebrate because he's successful, it's like when they go travel. This. He wears it. Yeah, That's so romantic. get it. Oh, he's yeah, wearing, he's wearing it when they're in the cafe. Yeah, I'll have what he's having. <laughs> That's it. So yeah, so he ambushes her and goes crazy on her. And she tells him off. Yeah, this is just a very awkward scene in yeah, public. Well, it's also super uncomfortable. Like I, ha- I've seen this happen so many times. Yes, the crazy Disneyland I- is the best for oh it. My God. Uh-huh. You see, like someone just shut down, not making any emotion. The other person's freaking out, and you're just like, "Oh, this is interesting." Always the Midwesterners <laughs> who spend thousands of dollars to be there, and the yeah. guy's like, "I need to get my money's worth," and she's like, "I just want to have a nice, fun time, Terry." <laughs> Why are you, you not smiling? <laughs> They All both. the pictures you're scowling at the camera. If I got matching shirts and his says broke. Yep. Yeah, right. Oh, I fucking hate that joke. It never stops. Uh, That's even worse than like the dude bros with their sleeveless Beauty and the Beast shirt. And he's like, oh, because I look lifeless. <laughs> like you realize that that's supposed to be a curse, fuckhead. <laughs> It makes me really want them to be in love because if they're really in love, he stops being a beast and he turns into me. Fuck off. <laughs> so next we go back to the lab and they're trying another baboon in the teleporter. Sorry, I killed your brother. <laughs> yeah. And so it works. The baboon comes out and jumps into Seth's arms and they toast with champagne. It's very triumphant. I like it a lot. Yeah. It's so dynamic and he stands. You can see he's like different. And he, do, he does a really good job of evoking this twice. He does it in this scene. He does it when he comes out of the transporter where he like sticks his chest out and it's, it's a different man. I yeah. really like that a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of subtle movement that definitely adds a, a lot of weight. So they talk about the next step being sitting the baboon out for tests. But Dottie wants to go take a holiday and Brundlefly wants Chinese food. <laughs> Spicy eggplant. There we Spicy go. Spicy eggplant, yeah. But then she finds the proposed magazine cover, finding out that Ass Man has been like intermeddling again and going yes. even further. And so she's like, I have to handle some personal business. I have to return some videotapes. And he's like, Mushu. And she <laughs> But instead off. of explaining it. Like a civilized person. Yeah. She's cryptic, like a woman. Like a woman. God damn it. Ugh. Just say what you want. Ridiculous. Is it that hard? Just say, hey, I'm being manipulated. I'm and an this idiot. Is what I'm gonna do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you're meaning. I yell for a living at a job <laughs> and in a podcast, I, I don't deal in any kind of degrees. Just tell me what you want, what you really, really want. <laughs> I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really ah! want. I want it. I want it. <laughs> but she even makes fun of him for not being around people a lot and then she's like oh i'm gonna just let this emotion of me abandoning him after his huge success sit with him and you're like yeah you don't think he's gonna be all weirded out by that and he even like reaches out to her and he's like but come on yeah and she's like no it'd be one thing if he was like oh fine or he was standoffish instantly but no he's like still being like the good guy yeah which makes this like way more sympathetic because like man he's in emotional turmoil but his acting from that point on is very good too because he's like oh i'm understanding now and he's like piecing it all together kind of like someone who doesn't really interact with people a lot it's very interesting so she goes to back to her editors and they kind of patch things up in a a work sense yeah where he's decided to trust her journalistic instincts he's basically being clinical with her it's like complete transposition he manipulates her because basically she in the store said he's done or she's done with him completely and this was his ploy to get her back. So he's like, fine, I won't publish it, but you have to all, you know, you have to bring your stuff to me. Right. And so it's like him kind of like getting another claw into her. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he, he kind of gives in and he wants her to keep him informed. 
and then he, he does say too, like I, he doesn't want her to disappear from his life. And then and then at the end he's like, What about sex? Yep. He's, he's not like, love you're or anything. disgusting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, not love or anything. But again, when she says you're disgusting, she's smiling at him and leaving out the door. And I was like, this is like her encouraging his like ass man behavior. So it's an ongoing th- it's like when she he was taking a shower and like she's like, I want my key back. And he's right. like, I'm gonna keep it. And she's like, Okay. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Like, it's it's like she doesn't have the ability to like fully just cut him out. Back at the lab, and Brundlefly has been drinking. He realizes he's that he's taking shots of the sh- the champagne. <laughs> he pours it in like a tea cup, and he's like, "Oh!" I didn't reminds me of Doc that. Brown in Back to the Future Three. Yeah. How many has he had? That's his first one. <laughs> so he realizes that that Dottie and and Ass Man were a thing. Did you notice that when he gets ready to teleport and he's getting everything typed in on his terribly not ergonomic keyboard, the baboon's just sitting there ripping at a couch cushion? Yeah. <laughs> Which I liked because it was like, it's it's cute, but also it like has like this subtext of like savagery to it, mm-hmm. which applies later on in the movie. I was like, that's interesting. I didn't realize that when I was a dumb child. I realize it when I'm a dumb adult. So he's talking to the baboon, telling him he doesn't mean to kill his brother. And there's a fly flying around messing with the baboon. And that's when he like looks at him and he's like, oh, you look completely fine. You're acting exactly how a baboon would act. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to step in the machine. Yeah. So he says, <laughs> butt ass naked. Yeah. What are we waiting for? Let's do it. Boots up the computer, turns the camera on. The whole time the fly is buzzing. He gets inside. You see the fly on the inside of the window and he teleports to the other pod. And then we get a sick ass visual of him coming out of it. Yeah. It's great. Oh, it's great. So good. Dude, like, and the way he's like posing is very subtly. It, it reminds me so much. And I, I had never thought of it when watching Spider-Man myself. But in seeing this, I was like, holy shit. Like if Tobey Maguire didn't base his maneuvers off of Jeff Goldblum in some way, I don't know. When he's like looking in the mirror and he's flexing, he's like, holy shit. It's the same exact thing. It's that's, awesome. That's such a good yep. comparison. Yeah. Especially with the bug thing, too. So at the end of that scene, the baboon goes and jumps into his arms. Which is great because it's like so often in movies you have this weird like spiritual connection with the animal and they're like, oh, something's wrong. I smell it on you. But even the baboon's like, oh, this is my guy. Like, we're cool. So Dottie shows up back at the lab and Brundle flies asleep. Kind of wakes, He wakes up and he admits that he went through the teleporter and he was drunk and upset. And they kind of talk about her relationship with her editor. And then she runs her hand over his back and feels the hairs coming out of where he had his injury yeah, he because he had rolled over onto a microchip which a lot of people take as being foreshadowing that technology would be his undoing really i think it's just so that he would have a wound so that she could touch the fly hairs but whatever do they have sex again right here yeah yes they do raw to the raw to the raw to the raw to the raw dog. so they fuck and they go to sleep yep and then there's yep. a after the post coital nap he hears a fly catches it in his sleep and i was like mr miyagi would be so proud of you <laughs> <laughs> Please, somebody superimpose some uh, chopsticks on there. <laughs> <laughs> Which, what's great is they specifically rule out that there's another fly. If, I don't know if you caught that because I don't know if you've read the original or whatever. But he specifically asked, what happens to the other fly? You know, is it out there? He goes, no, it's fully assimilated. Like, you are the one unit now. It's because I was really, like, when I first see him catch it, I was like, I expected this little voice, like, help me. <laughs> <laughs> so Dottie wakes up and sees that he's not there. And he, she goes and walks around the lab. He's walking around the lab, and this is where he's doing all the crazy acrobatic strength stuff. Let me ask you, this scene, or Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World, when his daughter is doing the whole gymnastic balance uh, bars thing with the raptors, which is the better one? This one, for sure. <laughs> yeah. 
I want to fuck his head that off. That one this. is so dumb. In yeah, Lost it insults World. my intelligence. Let me do all this just to kick him once and make him fall into like a spike. Burn like seventy <laughs> calories, dog. No, so dumb. So he's swinging around on pipes and stuff. I and thought she's that was not really filming cool. it, which is like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> well, I, it was like such a, it was such like a dreamy sequence, like kind of super surreal. Yeah, yeah. The blue lighting, yeah, and like those weird shafts of light, and then I could see this being a music video. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. And you see it in him, like he's like, I feel so good right now, and he's just curious about it. It's like he got the best sleep of his life and woke up, and you're like, dude, I could do like, and I love ten pushups. The justification he comes up with is, oh, it's purifying. Right. Took out all the bullshit. Which makes sense a little. Totally makes sense. Yeah. All of the toxins were left out and you're a new man. So the next scene is both of them on vacation. They're walking through a market somewhere abroad. I'm not sure they really said it. I think it's pretty local. but Is it local? I think it's like a meat market or something weird. It just seemed... It's like it they're trying like they to town. Like somewhere. I don't know. Those are what we call poor people. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so he buys her a necklace and then they go to a coffee shop and he's talking about the teleportation, how it made him better. I love all this the bullshit. Scene. Yeah. And yeah. And so he's constantly he's he's got his coffee and he's constantly adding sugar to it and more and more sugar. And, and this is where Gina Davis, Dottie, goes full on beastie boys. She's like intergalactic planetary because he's like, I like my sugar with coffee and cream. <laughs> <laughs> I realize I got the phrasing of it wrong because she's the one saying it to him, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So he's getting all manic and talking super fast and banging the table and he's like, waiter, waiter. Jesus Christ. I love that. <laughs> it, apparently only half of this scene was written, so he came up with the rest of it. All of this is him. It's really, really good. It, it is, yeah. So they go back to the lab. Back to the lab again. Doing it Hope again that- on the sofa this time. Uh, uh, uh. And she fills the hairs on his back again, and this time they're super, super thick. So she you goes and see gets his butt scissors. Too. Oh yeah, blotchy butt. Yeah. So they go, she goes and gets scissors and cuts them, and he gets up and goes and gets ice cream, and then he starts getting all manic again, and he's like, he wants her to go through the teleporter immediately. She refuses, and he calls her a fucking drag. Yep. <sighs> like holy shit, that escalated quickly, huh? And then, <laughs> so he gets yeah, he gets pissed off when she declines, and then it storms off talking about penetrating the plasma pool which is a reference to uh, the quote a little learning is a dangerous thing drink deep and taste not the purian spring their shallow draughts intoxicate the brain and drinking largely sobers us again Hmm. i don't know what that means but i found the (laughs) quote so i get points i feel like he referenced it more he he, like he kind of monologued a little bit for it and i kind of wish i wanted i'm gonna dig deeper into it because he was i love that he's so esoteric and talking about because this movie lacks pseudoscience in a huge way yeah he's talking about philosophy and the concept of knowledge versus being like well your particles are blah 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 right i like it way better this way it makes it more or easier to digest yep yeah and this also seems very animalistic with his behavior where he's like i need to like reproduce sort of a thing and i need a mate and his like He's like experiencing time at a much faster pace, it seems like, because he's like so like, go, 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 go. Yeah, exactly. Which also, spoiler alert, when we get into the d- brief discussion about the fly too, it's Gina Davis's kid. It's not Tawny's kid. But you know Tawny got knocked up. So I've always been curious if the fly too wasn't so lackluster. Yes. If they did a third one, they already had a built in and a mad. We'll get into it. But yeah, should have been a fly daughter, fly boy, boink, boink. And then you're Ew, like, Ew, incest. That's <laughs> gross. <laughs> Dude, I was joking when I said Winchester. I told you. Gross man. Insect world, man. Insect. There is no insect politics. Uh, (laughs) Oh, shit. 
that brings us to this the bar scene. He walks down. Would to you the say bar. that he's a bar fly? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's call some raps. <laughs> I'm not going to be funnier than that this episode. <laughs> so he walks in. He's he's talking to a girl, Tawny, at the bar, and some guys are arm wrestling behind them, and he kind of antagonizes the guys. Dumbest it's, acting ever, yeah. though. By the way, when like when he's he probably, walks by and they like are aggressively slapping to like start arm wrestling, I was like, "This is so weird." And then they just look like they're just sitting there holding hands. Yeah. <laughs> he, he says he's got a hundred bucks. He could beat either one of them, and so the guy in the final takes up his offer. But and, he says, "I also get to take home Tani." Oh yeah, he's like, he's like, I get to take the girl home too. And she's like, "I'm not a whore." <laughs> but she's like, eh, "All right." Actually, the boy, the guy, he's like, "Yeah, okay." He's yeah. like, don't worry. It's easy. hundred bucks, Tony. Kind of creepy. He's commoditizing. Like, I don't gross. care how confident you are. You're going to beat someone to be like, hey, you could take my woman home if you, if I lose. Uh, yeah, that's a nope. Nope. <laughs> so he arm wrestles the guy and breaks his wrist. So good. Yeah. Which this is also the first time you see him secrete anything because mm, there's like a, a creamy oh, yeah. on top of his, his hand. Fingers. And then so he breaks his wrist and uh, grabs Tony and <laughs> goes <laughs> while the dude's bleeding. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. They're all screaming and like trying to work with the guy. And he's like, let's go. And she just goes with him. Yeah. Like, okay. And even outside in the street when they're walking, she's talking like completely normal. I'm like, what is let's this girl on? Yeah. Well, I can see to a certain extent she's like serves you right. Right. You know. So she, this is also kind of, maybe the scene before this is where his face is really starting. You're really starting to notice. The rash. Yeah. That's why I was talking about his blotchy butt. But so then it cuts to the lab and she's got like a titty almost out and she'd be watching him and she's like, (laughs) he's like, foosh, 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 foosh. She's like, he's like, beam myself up, Scotty. And she's like, oh, beam into my clitoris (laughs) and roll around in there, Mr. Man. And then he's like, you need to teleport. And she's like, no, I just need you to teleport in the mock later. Well, now that we got past that, Dottie shows up. <laughs> and she's like, do not beam him into your clitoris. Be afraid. Be very afraid. And he goes, oh, I forgot to tell you I live with my mother, too. I have that quote, too. That was so <laughs> great. I was laughing so hard. Because basically, she, and he's like, on, mom, meet Tawny. Because yeah. earlier on, you know, she says that they can't go back to her place because she, she lives with her mom. It's such a sick bird, dude. <laughs> it was so good. Could you imagine? Like, you already see your boyfriend fucking somebody else. Uh, but then, like, that on top of it is like, holy shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. So this is where we find out that Dottie, it took the hairs and had them analyzed and they're not human. They're insects. She tells him his face is all fucked up and that something happened when you went through. He gets all pissed off saying that she's just jealous. Yep. He starts to punch the shit out of a wall to prove he's not sick. Super gnar. <laughs> yeah. And then he kicks her out. And, and then, then all this, 57 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Crazy. All the stuff you've gotten in yeah. that amount of time. And then Brundlefly goes into the bathroom and he sees his face. I actually sees his face in the mirror. When he tries to shave, yeah. He tries to shave the hairs off. And gets pissed and throws the clippers. And this is pulls off his fingernail with his teeth and then squirts pus from his finger and then pulls off another oh. nail. That was so gross. I can't. <laughs> I know it's a common thing for people to be grossed out about nail stuff, but I cannot watch. Really? Nails being pulled off. It's gross. Hmm. Well, you don't, nothing phases you. I, I'm not surprised that you didn't care. Reminds me of Mike Berryman, the guy from The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or my grandpa, who cut his finger off and finished working for the day, then got it put back on. His nails all gross. He's a man. My toes look like his fingers. Oh. <laughs> 
show you later. So he goes to the computer and he's checking the analysis of his teleportation. Yep. And it says that there was a second element. The first element was Brundle, second element. Uh, it like deconstructs it and then reconstructs it and right. it, it comes up as a fly. And so he asks it if second it's kind of funny, like if then statements for like programming. Yeah, he, like, right. Types it in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if second element is fly, what happened to fly? And it said fusion of Brundle and fly at molecular level. So they didn't just combine physically. Yes. It combined their DNA and built something out of that. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. So he doesn't call her until four weeks later. Yeah. It's a great time jump. Yeah. He says that he was afraid to see her and now he's afraid not to see her. He's gotten so much worse. Please come see me. She shows up at the lab. The lab is a disaster. It's also a perfect amount of time for her to have a menstrual cycle. Yep. Not to get too reproductive health on you, but it shows whatever. How does that work? I'm just kidding. (laughs) You see, when a fly and uh, <laughs> uh, nature finds a way, nature uh, finds a way. <laughs> so he he comes out with two canes, looking all his face looks like it almost looks melted. Yeah, yeah. I love the ups and downs because like he is super strong, then he's like decaying, getting super weak, but then the strength kind of comes back. It's, it's a like cool metamorphosis. It's like a yeah, it's like a up down up down up down. Yeah, because it's the pain of change, right? <laughs> he says the from the nursery he's like I know an old lady who swallowed a fly perhaps she died yeah perhaps that's died. great because she's like what? I had it's never heard wrong? that my kid's <laughs> obsessed with that we have like a whole like play thing for it yeah it's morbid as fuck oh and it that's is. coming from a guy who hosts a show about people dying I don't know why she swallowed a fly perhaps she'll die she will so he talks he's talking to her about how a fly got into the transmitter and then he he goes to grab some donuts. Yeah, and you think he's just gonna eat them, and he fucking throws up on them. Oh, uh, that's and disgusting. I, yeah, I yeah. love that part. I laugh every time. <laughs> yeah, and then his ear falls off, and then <laughs> and then she gives him a hug and smears the ear. Or what Dude, but here. if you look at his shirt, there's pus like all uh, yeah. over oh, yeah. it too, and she still goes in for the hug. So you guys have seen. You I, keep that lady. Yeah, <laughs> I I can't give my wife a hug it. if I have like a slight <laughs> sheen of sweat. She's like, don't touch me. Do not. (laughs) But those of you following along, we're currently doing the Slammers, which is an N64 thing where we're taking a bunch of characters from horror. We're pitting them against each other in a video series. You get it. When I made Brundlefly, the first version of it was trying to make him with the shirt. And I was like, I can't make it gross in this N64 video game. So I'm just going to make him (laughs) naked. Yeah. (laughs) So Dottie goes back to her editor. And she's talking about how she wants to go back to Brundlefly. She's worried. Uh, he's worried that it's contagious, but he but he still wants to see it for himself. Yeah. So she goes back to the lab with the intention of filming him. Which is interesting because it's Brundlefly's idea to do this like Bill Nye, like, okay, yeah. kids, this is how we eat now. So he's gained more strength now. He's climbing on the walls. You know, the ceiling. I love the scene with him coming down yeah. the wall and he's like looking at her and like kind of twitchy and, and talking and looking backwards. Really good scene. I love it. It's just so casual for him too because he's like, hey, what's this on his side? He's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like great. Well, one of the things that's really interesting when they talked about the puppeteering, Goldblum was asked like, are there any mannerisms that you have that we could use in puppeteering to evoke your essence? And he was probably just the twitching. Yeah. And so you could see it ramps up, but he's twitching in that very first scene and it just keeps getting more and then it builds really nicely into that. So puppet. good at it. Even call it, so he's climbing the wall he's like, maybe it's not such a bad disease after all. Yeah. No, it's really bad, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, maybe it, he says it wants to turn him into something else. 
But then, and then he tells her he wants her to chronicle the life and times of Brundlefly. <laughs> <laughs> so she's recording him and he explains on film how he has to digest food outside his body before he eats it. And it like zooms out from the filming to the it's the TV and the editors watching the video. Yep. Ass man. And it's great because it's just sound effects and his disgust. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, oh, this is great. Yeah, it's gnar. Like they didn't really need to show it because the video is so poor quality because of the 80s. Yeah. But yeah, his face like reacting to it was really good. He's so. just like, oh, it's so gross. <laughs> and then she has the birth of the maggot dream. Oh, yeah, she, oh yeah. she comes in crying, pregnant. And he's like, well, let's go to the hospital. At the hospital, she's losing the baby, whatever. They're, they make her push and pushes out the larva. And she wakes up. It's so gross. And then she immediately like curls into a fetal position, which is again, imagery of you know, like maternal. And it's just, oh. And so as this is happening and she's having this torture, Brundlefly has his eureka moment where he's like, okay, I just need to fuse with a pure human subject and I'll be clean. Right. So he goes to the computer and he puts in the Brundlefly program. And it says, he says what he wants it to do. And it says that the computer recommends fusion with one or more human species. And then his teeth start falling out. And he calls his teeth. He says, you're relics. Yes, you are. Artifacts of a bygone era. And places them in his medicine chest with his ear and other and parts his of his dick. Him. Was that? I thought it was. I think it I is know. because there's no dick on him. <laughs> it was on the left. And there's a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff in a in jars. And you're like, dude, one of those is his dick. <laughs> it doesn't look as hung as Jeff Goldblum. I'll say that. It looked girthy. And so <laughs> that's when Ronnie show, or Dottie shows up and she wants to see him and she's about to tell him that she's pregnant and that this is where he goes on his insect politics speech and she's just completely confused and she just doesn't even know what to say. The music swells and it's like this really great part and when she clangs the door as she's leaving, it rattles out like thunder and she runs out into the arms of the ass man who again isn't being overly you know affectionate it's not as though it's just like oh come to me and you're you know my woman now it's it's very different to me and you find out when she's saying i can't do it i don't want it in my body Brundle flies on the roof yeah but she he also knows that she can only lean on him there's no one else that could experience any of this yeah. so like he doesn't care really what happens to her as long as she's with him yeah i think that's fair yeah but also i mean she's kind of untouchable at this point with the whole maggot thing so i i, I think that he's also curious to have this all addressed by a doctor to see if he can put his dick in it without it getting the acid puked on you know yeah so, like you said, Brundlefly sees him from the roof and hears that she is pregnant and they drive off. I was sad he wasn't perched like a gargoyle. <laughs> you know what I mean? uh, and I don't mean that just to be like, not, I think that'd be a, a very striking visual to show how inhuman he's become. So they go to the doctor in the middle of the night and basically Assman says, you know, just like, I need a favor. Basically, just yeah. do this. <laughs> do me a solid and kill this fucking baby. Am I right? <laughs> So he agrees to do it. There, She's in the room. She's going to get changed into her gown and Brundlefly bursts in through the glass wall. Like the Kool-Aid man. I was just about to say, cool. uh, we're friends. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. He whisks her away <laughs> and he says that the baby may be all that's left of the real me. Yeah. Right after, in the last scene, he said he was an insect who dreamed he was a man. Yes. This show, I don't take that to be an inconsistency in the writing. I take that to be the devolution into that. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the last like vestige of humanity was when he gave the, there are no insect politics. Because yeah. he's like, get out. I will hurt you. Yeah. And then this part is like, just he wants to progress somehow. <laughs> Like he wants to be human, but he's willing to sacrifice anything. Yeah, especially yeah. when he's going to put her in the pot and fuse them all into one. Right. We're a happy thing. family. <laughs> right. So Asman shows up to the lab. And oh, there's a deleted scene where he goes skeet shooting. 
So that's why he has a shotgun. <laughs> it's really oh, dumb okay. though anyway, because he's like, hey, this guy's dangerous. He broke through a glass window, jumped three stories down with the female. And he's like, comes into the lab and then assembles the yeah. shotgun. <laughs> You're like, hey, excuse me? You don't assemble that before walking into the danger zone? <laughs> yeah. And I, I get the whole like, you, you see it so often in any kind of sci-fi horror or whatever, where it's like, oh, we can't tell the cops because the cops will never believe us. You have proof that this happened when he crashed through a fucking wall. <laughs> you know, if that hadn't happened, I'd be a little bit more like, he oh, could okay. even just say there's like an illegal lab of some sort of drug den and they would have like raided that place. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. But the ticking clock. I think if Bundlefly had said something like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll fuse this all together. I'll do something. So he knew he had to act immediately. might help that situation a little bit. Right. But again, he should have the shotgun fully ready before entering the lab. No argument there. <laughs> and also maybe a gun that doesn't just have two shots. Exactly. So he goes and turns on the computer in the lab and you see all the details about two subjects from two telepods going to the third telepod. It's the fusion dance. Yeah, I get it. But it's weird that he <laughs> even knows anything about this what should be a super high-tech computer he's like hey i'll just push this and figure everything out <laughs> well, yeah he just pushes a button the home screen like, will tell me what to do <laughs> all right. and then you hear this like gurgling screech as brundlefly flies out of the roof and attacks him that makes the pukey pukey on the hand and foot she begs him to stop and then he climbs the wall up to the ceiling to her just showing like he is nowhere near human anymore. Yep. I, I really like that, that the whole way he vanquishes his enemy right here has nothing to do with humanity. It's not him just overpowering him. It's all extra powers. Yes. This is where he says that he wants to fuse with her and the baby. And she, he's like pulling her and she like accidentally rips off his jaw. So it's just accidentally. Apparently this whole thing took like two weeks to film. And Cronenberg told her to, quote, rip that sucker off. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's pretty gnarly. Yeah, I have to say, it's probably my favorite effect in the whole movie. It's just so gross. Yes. And then he starts rapidly transforming. Yeah, because you see like the skin falls off and it's almost like in... Men in Black, when the Edgar suit comes off and it's a giant cockroach, yep. because his arms start showing and everything, it's I love it. Yeah, it's the foot fun. like separating and becoming the like fly foot is awesome. Oh yeah! So she gets thrown into one of the pods, and then Ass Man wakes up and is gets the gun as Brundlefly gets into the other pod, and then the Ass Man shoots the cables going to Dottie's pod, and so Brundlefly sees what's going on and breaks out of the glass from the pod but he doesn't do it fast enough he's halfway out and he gets teleported and so, i love it because it like destroys like with the door open half of like the pod also gets like teleported it reminds me of terminator when they're time yeah, traveling and yeah. it like shears off the metal also quick thing who would you rather fuck who is butt-ass naked and crouched down jeff goldblum robert patrick arnold schwarzenegger i think i'm gonna go goldblum huh i just want to dominate arnold so <laughs> <laughs> that, I, leaves you with Robert. Sorry, bud. <laughs> All right. He's the most, you know, woman like anyway. You're yeah. good. <laughs> I guarantee with that T-1000, he can make a nice tight puss for you. But <laughs> oh, he'll keep the rest of it looking like a cop. <laughs> you got a new fetish. <laughs> so he gets fused with the telepod and then he falls out of the third pod and he's he's part flies part metal and tubes very tetsuo the iron man i yeah. love that the musculature has like the wires in it quick thing he throws her in fully clothed so they would have been fused with her clothes, yeah. tide pod clothes no good yeah 
But yeah, I, I really love the best one is his leg because you can actually see the wires like flexing in it as it moves. It's super great. So there he crawls over to her and there's some semblance of him left. There's obviously something yeah. there because he grabs he grabs a shotgun with his claw and puts it up to his head. She freaks out and doesn't want to do it. And eventually she she shoots him in the head and it explodes, yep. explodes. like a pinata. I love it. And I love it because it's just like fade to black. Done. Yeah. None of this, like, what happened to the kid? Is she with Ass Man? None of it. It's just like, that's where everything stops. Well, there were originally several different endings that went on beyond it. And that's actually one of the things that they were talking about. It was one of the producers was talking to Chris Wallace and said, the first thing they're going to see, the fly designed and created by Chris Wallace, that's going to win you an Academy Award, wins him an Academy Award. Hmm. So I, I think it's very deliberate in that capacity, too. In one of the alternate endings, in one of the alternate endings, she has a dream that she gives birth to the kid and it has butterfly wings. And so it's like a happy ending. Uh, there's another one with butterfly wings. <laughs> Bullet with butterfly wings. <laughs> Despite all my rage. <laughs> Sorry. There's uh, another one where Stathis says that it's his baby. And then there's one where the baby is dead. And yeah, yeah absolutely That'd be crazy. a bummer. <laughs> so should I briefly touch on the fly too? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So the fly too, basically it's, she gives birth to the kid. Gina Davis doesn't come back because it's just a, a bit cameo. And she's like, I'm not just going to come back to scream and, and shit out a kid. Not yep. happening. They pull out a like hard husk, like a cocoon, cut it open. And inside is a baby. Very dark. The way he holds it up, almost like it's an altar, which is kind of cool. The baby is super intelligent, grows super rapidly. So he's like a genius. It gets way too weird. It's not flyish at all until he starts to actually manifest and turn into a fly. Yeah. So he's like trying to establish himself. He finds a dog in the testing facility because he grows up in a lab. Befriends the dog. They use the dog to experiment on the pods, mutilate the dog. He finds out the dog is still alive and that like pushes him over the edge. <laughs> and, you know, he ends up having sex with the chick from Spaceballs. And then he finds out he does the same exact thing that his dad wanted to do, where he removes his genetic abnormality by, you know, having somebody else take it, basically. Yep. And so the guy who's basically raised him from Bartok, the industries, he's the one who gets it. And he ends up living in the same painful condition as the guy's dog. That's your poetic justice. There was an originally a deleted scene where it was him like at a lake house and he's all happy and calm and serene. And it's the space balls chick and she's like, what's up, hunky man love who's five years old who I fuck? Uh, how you feeling? <laughs> he says he's feeling much better and a fly lands on his food. And that was the movie. And then they did a sequel comic where it is a disease. Again, going back to the original, not done. <laughs> One of the other sequel ideas was that Seth's consciousness was in the computer and Bartok Industries basically enslaved him. Very <laughs> ghost in the machine. That was pretty cool. And then Gina Davis was once slapping uglies with a dude who was writing his own treatment for a script where it was called Flyza, where she gave birth to twins. <laughs> so that gives you the full gamut of what you're dealing with. So bearing all that in mind, is this a classic, a trashic, or a tragic? Classic, for classic. sure. Now here's the question, because I, I know my answer. Is this the new classic champion? What did we have previous to this this year? My Bloody Valentine is reigning defending. Oh, I would say definitely. I personally like My Bloody Valentine 81 more, but I will say that there are certain intangibles you have to get into, like the cultural legacy. And I think that, unfortunately, much to my chagrin, My Bloody Valentine is lost into history so much. And now it has an audience who's very nostalgic and it's almost this campiness. I think that you kind of have to give it to the fly, in my opinion. I didn't see My Bloody Valentine. 
Oh, so I vote for the fly. <laughs> there we yeah. Go. So we have, like, we've been on a killer streak of just like upping the ante. And so next month we're doing March Madness, which is going to be all movies that center around the theme of somebody descending into madness. Now, the fun thing is now you're sitting there, you're thinking, hey, months are cool, right? I know how months work. This month has five Mondays, which means that we get five episodes of slashers for your titillating pleasure. We're going to start mm. Videodrome then go to American Psycho, then Shutter Island, then A Clockwork Orange, then In the Mouth of Madness. And if you are a Patreon subscriber, you will get one hour photo with Robin Williams, the late and great. So very excited about this lineup. I am too. That's yeah. pretty good. So two of those moves I haven't seen, surprisingly. Really? Oh, don't tell them now. Because mm. then they're going to know which ones we're not prepared for. <laughs> Do you guys have anything you want to plug? Want to talk about our Patreon or... Yeah, Patreon. Three small shirts left, and I'd really like to sell those to get into our next batch. If you have any designs that you want us to do or things that you'd like us to reference, quotes from the show that you like that you'd want to see on a t-shirt or a coffee mug, you let us know. We'll get them made. Beep, beep, fuck boys. Enjoy killing time. Until next week. For these goons, for Brian, who's at home, taking a dump, doing something. I think he's actually editing last month's Patreon bonus episode. My name is Jake, reminding you to go out there and do something you love. And remember that all work and no power play makes Jack a dull boy. What the fuck? Was that a fun episode or what, you pig fuckers? Sorry, I'm a little amped up and that was a little rude of me. But I'm very excited about that episode. One of my favorite movies to talk about. I could ramble about it for days. And this is one of my favorite hidden tracks we've ever done. The band Slugdja rules my world. I am enamored with the Slime Lord. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I want you to go to your Google device and put in S-L-U-G-D-G-E, and you will find the most sweet and sour succulent sounds you've ever heard in your pig fucking life. Sorry, again with the pig fucking. I don't know what's come over me. This song is called Putrid Fairy Tale. It rips my face off my body and leaves a slimy ectoplasm underneath my skin. Be sure to check out Slugge on all social media platforms, slugge.bandcamp. They're the only Slugge on everything. So just go patronize them, let them know how you found them, and enjoy.